my parents and I were lingering there. But some church staff came hurriedly and told us, you have to leave now. We hear we're next, and they're coming right now. So my parents got me, put me in the car. We, we left the church, and on the other side, we saw two or three trucks of um, Indonesian military members going toward our church, and sure enough, they were there to burn our church. Thankfully, we were spared, and no one quite knew how, other than the grace of God. The church, our church, was um, burned only in the, in the um, basement. It didn't go upstairs. We're not quite sure why, again, thanks to the Lord. But at that point, understandably, many Chinese Indonesians fled Indonesia. In the year following this, there were a lot of smaller riots. There were a lot of bomb threats to Chinese Indonesian establishments, including schools, like my school. So we would be let go early if, there, if there's a bomb threat on the phone. And after a year of this, um, my mom just said, I, I can't take it anymore because I don't know any given day when I drop you off at school whether you're coming back home in one piece. Uh, meanwhile, throughout this year, parents of dozens of my friends decided to send my friends, their kids abroad. So my friends ended up in Australia and Singapore, the United Kingdom, the United States, um, you name it. One in Norway, really far. Uh, so my, my parents decided, okay, you're next. And I was going to be sent to the United States. So I came here, I was 16. By here, I mean West LA, actually. And trying to learn English, still learning now. My parents enrolled me in, uh, at West LA Baptist High School. I remember where it was, obviously. Uh, Santa Monica and Barrington, if you're familiar with that part of LA. And if you're wondering how, you know, what about my parents? They knew that life here was gonna cost money. They really wanted me to finish college. I had a, an older sister, she was then in college. She was also a Bruin. So my parents said, if life gets worse here, we'd move too, but for now, maybe we'll see. We'll keep our jobs so we can pay for your education. And as it was, praise be to God, where, uh, where they were, we were in Jakarta, the capital, got better, although other areas of Indonesia got worse. Uh, so my, my legal sister became my legal guardian, and there we were, I was 16. I applied for a political asylum maybe a year or so after that, and received it, like many other Christians and Chinese Indonesians. Uh, then I received my green card, and then became a citizen in 2010. And for, especially lawyers in the room, but for everybody else, I think this is interesting, I was then a second year law student taking this class called Constitutional Law. But in the naturalization, ceremony whenever I became a United States citizen, there was an oath that we were to take. And so this is part of the oath, and I, I think it's absolutely gorgeous. So let's, let's adore it with me, please. I will support and de defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America. I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. I remember crying because I was learning about the Constitution. Here I was taking the oath to support and defend it. Obviously, maybe not so obvious, I should say. I'm very thankful for this country that's adopted me. This is the country where I met my husband. My husband uh, was born and raised in California, a country where my, my children have been born and raised. I am so, so thankful. Growing up, I didn't know this until we met, obviously, but my husband said, I didn't know you, but I knew that some people started praying for their future spouse long before they met their future spouse. 
He said, for some reason, the only prayer that I would say over and over, Lord, is, Lord, whoever my wife will be, will you protect her? And the Lord's faithful to answer. So that was my story. How about for now, their story, who's they, the persecuted church around the world. According to Open Doors, approximately 245 million Christians are persecuted worldwide. But at that point, that number gets so big, it's almost meaningless. I can't even imagine 245 million. So broken down a little bit, how about this, another snapshot. An average of at least 255 Christians around the world killed each month for their faith. And we can imagine that number a little better. We can fit 255 probably into this room. Each month killed for their faith, the faith that you and I hold. 180 Christian women raped monthly or sexually harassed or forced into marriage. Uh, if we narrow it down to a particular region of the world, Christians in the Middle East, their persecution has increased significantly. There's large numbers of displaced Christians. And this in the part of the world that was that Jesus walked, number one. Number two, with this apostolic link all the way back to the times of the disciples. So the, the Christian witness seems to be diminished, right, in, in this area. So that's highly important to us, highly meaningful to us historically. Open Doors again says that, uh, how about this, 4,100 Christians murdered just last year, and that's just in the worst 50 countries in the list of religious persecution. 4,100. That's, I think, the num number that we can imagine a little bit, a little bit more. In 2015, you may remember, there were 21 Coptic Christians who were uh, murdered, they were beheaded, and as they were beheaded by ISIS, they were all crying out, Ya Rabbi Yasu, they were saying, Lord Jesus Christ. A great book written recently about these 21. I had a student who was, uh, who was an is Coptic Christian, his name was George, and he goes to a Coptic church here in Southern California, and some of those people knew of the families of these 21, a link to us in Southern California. Their, their bodies were found a couple of years ago in a mass grave. Their story. How about our story, yours and mine? Well, do we see instances of Christians being persecuted here in the United States? And I don't mean, and thanks be to God, I don't mean burning of churches and beheadings. May the day never come. What I'm talking about is perhaps Pope Francis's polite persecution. So what's polite persecution? How about the exclusion and derision, the open and outright hostility from our involvement, our meaning Christians' involvement, or speaking out in the public square? I think the, the, the examples that come to mind the most easily, the most obviously, would be the Christian florist, the Christian baker, the Christian photographer, the Christian pizza shop owner who are demonized or fined or persecuted for standing up for Christ, for exercising their freedom of religion. A couple of cases that are big enough that I think are in the consciousness of everybody, not just lawyers. Masterpiece Cake Shop decided just a couple of years ago there was a baker, a Christian baker named Jack Phillips. He opened his business to everybody. He'll make a he'll, he'll he'll sell you cupcakes, anything that he has there. If you're gay, anybody, right? But one day, uh, two gay guys came and wanted him to bake a cake for their same-sex um, marriage ceremony. 
And he said, I'm so sorry, I can't do that because then I'll be using my talents to create something specifically for that ceremony. And I would understand that as taking part, participating in that. And I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, but I certainly don't want to turn you away from my business. Do you see anything in my cake display? You can just take it and go. Well, he was sued, um, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the decision came out. It ruled for him from the Supreme Court. It was generally thought to be a pretty good decision for religious liberty for the rest of us, not just for Jack Phillips, obviously. But scholars disagree as to the exact lines of how to interpret that decision. How good is that good decision? By the way, now Jack Phillips has been back at court again over refusal to bake a cake to celebrate somebody's gender transition. Pink interior, blue exterior. I had a friend from law school, I went to Christian law school, and um, he, she had this client up in Oregon, kind of the same story as Jack Phillips. And by the way, when you, when you, you kind of have to put your life on hold, you're getting death threats, your business uh, and livelihood is in jeopardy, to wait years to go to Supreme Court, that is a huge disruption, to say the least, most generously of your life. Um, there's this baker, the Kleins, same kind of thing, same exact story as uh, Jack Phillips, actually, in Colorado. They appealed, um, they lost all the way, it was in Oregon, all, all the way, all the way, all the way up. They went to the Supreme Court recently, um, and the Supreme Court told the Oregon Supreme Court to rehear the case in light of Jack Phillips' case, masterpiece. Again, for the clients, years of life and waiting, they were fine at one point. I think it was around $135,000. Christians around the country tried to give them money on GoFundMe. GoFundMe shut it down because GoFundMe said, well, we don't believe that you should be doing this. We think you're bigots. So the fundraisers had to move to a different fundraiser website for the clients. Another uh, similar story, but now it's a florist named Bernal Stutzman. Uh, same exact idea, except she was actually personally friends with this client who wanted a floral arrangement for his ceremony. She sold him many flower arrangements, birthdays, this, that, and the other. But again, she said, I can't make a special one for you for this ceremony because I think I would be participating in that. I'm a Christian. I think marriage is between a man. You know I love you, though. You're my friend. She gave him a hug. That, that guy didn't even sue him. This, didn't even sue her. The state did. Anyway, her ordeal, again, um, now she's being threatened, not just her business, at some point it was threatened, um, threatening her personally, financially liable personally, not on a business level. It went all the way up to the Washington Supreme Court, she lost, went to the Supreme Court of the United States, and SCOTUS, Supreme Court, says, what? hey, Supreme Court of Washington, we're remanding this to you because we decided Jack Phillips' case in Colorado called Masterpiece. Why don't you rethink your decision for Baronel in light of Masterpiece, Jack Phillips' case? She lost again in the Supreme Court of Washington, so now her lawyers are asking the Supreme Court the second time to please take up her case. Most of us in the room aren't probably not in the business of baking, selling flowers that touch kind of weddings and ceremonies side of, of things. But many of us are parents. For example, how long before more and more kids are taken from parents who disagree with the kids wanting a gender transition? It's starting to happen in Europe. 
in here. This couple, uh, they, they lost custody of their 17-year-old daughter. This was in Ohio, 2018, when the child wanted to transition. Lost custody, and now the child is with her grandparents. Many are sometimes saying we're entering a post-Christian America. I'm not entirely comfortable with that. But then some people say then perhaps we're getting into the pre-Christian America again. And I'm not entirely comfortable with that either just because we have this history and we can never go back to exactly the pagan times. But after the 2015 case, I'm a law professor and lawyer on some of these cases, but they do shed light to what's happening in our country. The case, uh, June of 2015, Obergefell v. Hodges, Supreme Court tells the nation, hey, the right to marry anybody, including somebody of your same sex, is a constitutional right. After that, things happened much faster. Well, after that, we can expect much more. So we expect incoming legal battles surrounding accreditation, tax exam status, availability of student loans, now we're currently backed by federal money. This is getting hitting home for me and for us um, very hard for my family. I work for Christian higher ed, what is going to happen with, with that? I, by the way, have been focusing on examples uh, in our country in the age of redefinition of marriage and all it brings, not because they're exclusive, but I think because they're the most obvious and very recent and very, very clear implications of Obergefell in 2015. So I think some would say, and I, I need to bring this up, that these don't rise to the level of the persecution, say, in the Middle East, the 21 beheaded for their faith, right? Or even in Indonesia, where I grew up. Uh, it's not really persecution, so it's not really worth talking about. And I'm not just talking about Starbucks, you know, not Christmas cups. Well, with all due respect, I disagree there. Let me submit this. Maybe we're beginning to experience in the United States all these things. And, and, and I think it is different in degree for now, but it is still unjust. And it is messed up and ironic because fundamentally that's against what this country is all about, what this country has been founded on. Now, on the one hand, our Lord said in the book of John, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. On the other hand, right? Oh, sorry, that was on the one hand. On the other hand, however, while it may be inevitable that polite persecution comes to us even in America, and perhaps now we're talking about losing our livelihoods, not getting uh, the promotion, getting excluded, getting derided, and all of that, it still grieves me deeply because this is the one country that's not supposed to happen. Persecution may be true in other countries, and they basically copy and paste our Constitution, and they don't mean or know the half of what it means. They don't have the rule of law, but it shouldn't happen here in our beloved country, given our history, given our context, given our tradition, given the reason we existed to begin with. Surely, and I'm taking it personally, not in the one country into which I fled, of which I chose to become a citizen, Right? Not this country, the best country in God's green earth. What can we do if this is our story? 
We can't wish as the world, as, as the, what we want the world to be, but we must take it as it is. What do we, where do we go from here? What do we do as faithful followers of Christ? Number one, it's so basic, but we don't do it nearly enough. Pray. And the Lord says to pray for those who persecute us. Easier said than done. And I need to remember to do that, to pray. Anytime I hear of something in the news, read the newest Supreme Court ruling, something or other. Or in California or Ninth Circuit, something or other, to pray. Number two, we should support the fight for religious liberty. And I think, and this is a good question, here's the question posed by some in Christian circles. Should we not turn the other cheek and let things be? if we're run out of the public square, if they want to sue us over something, or, or what have you. Now, we're called to be shrewd like serpents and innocent like doves. And may I submit that religious liberty is worth fighting for. It is biblical for us to use the legal system to seek justice and righteousness. Here's an example. Paul, St. Paul using the Roman legal system to appeal his conviction to spread the gospel. That's a topic of its own. But one quick example. Special honor here, special shout out, uh, goes to those who are fighting in the trenches, religious liberty lawyers, I'm affiliated with Alliance Defending Freedom, Beckett on the, uh, our same side, some public, public figures, public leaders, my um, one-time employer, boss at Princeton University, Professor Robert George. So number one, pray. Number two, would we support the work of religious liberty? Number three, be encouraged by the word, if I may. In the vein of rejoicing in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Our text today from Acts 5 is this long account of the early church being born, and they're all Jewish, but the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, told them, you cannot preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter said, we, we must obey God rather than men if the laws of men conflict of what we know the Lord is telling us to do. Sanhedrin, by the way, function by the, then at the time as basically the Jewish Supreme Court, something for us to think about. But a little later in that same text, verses 41 to 42, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace or shame for the name, that echo of the same James passage we read earlier, counted all joy. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news, Jesus as Christ. I don't know about you, but my natural inclination is not to rejoice because I've been persecuted or suffering disgrace or shame for the name. May we have the courage, Holy Spirit, to work in us that we would rejoice if we are counted in that number worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. For us, perhaps, you know, the less expensive disgrace. Really expensive, though. Losing our livelihood. Perhaps not our lives or limbs yet. But would we rejoice if the opportunity comes at the same time to be shrewd like serpents, innocent like doves? I like this picture in Acts 1, the Lord's command to this um, new form church. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were all basically sticking in Jerusalem, though. Understandable. I think we would, we would have, too. Not until Acts 8, seven chapters later, when we hear, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
That echoes the Old Testament out of Exodus. The more they, the children of Israel, were oppressed, this was in Egypt, the more they multiplied and spread. So sometimes this great pressure, persecution, causes the church to break out into places we wouldn't have been before, to grow up, to take up the charge, taking up the cross and follow Christ. This is an older quote, but Russell Moore, uh, president of Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, he's a Southern Baptist. We are not, I'm not, you are not, but this is worth hearing. He says, the book of Acts, like the Gospels before, it shows us that Christianity thrives when it is a sign of contradiction. Only a strange gospel can differentiate itself from the worlds we construct. But the strange, freakish, foolish old gospel is what God uses to save people and to resurrect churches. Now, if we've been, and that was, that was his quote, if we've been on the wrong side of history since Rome, and that was enough to turn the world upside down for good and not for evil, then maybe we'll see what the Lord can do when we're being persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, and not destroyed. Sometimes the Lord does some of his best work when the church is under persecution. So be encouraged by Jesus' words at Caesarea Philippi, right in front of the great pagan God. wickedness of the wicked. Ancient. He took his disciples there for a reason, so they saw that. This was the wickedness of the wicked, ancient, idolatrous place, all manner of evil was intentionally practiced and celebrated. In this very face of paganism and evil, Christ says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Number four, to bear witness and be faithful. Believe the word, live it out, and appropriate that to ourselves. Jesus says in the book of John, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, but you also love one another. In John 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So husbands, and I say this because the trends in our society that I mentioned, again, the very obvious ones that I pick out, that's not the only thing happening, that's just the ones I picked out for today, have to do with the breakdown of families and children very much hurting. So, the world is watching you. The world is watching us. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to and love your husbands. Fathers and mothers, love your children. Stick together. They're watching you. And, and don't provoke your children to wrath. Children, obey and honor and love your parents. Love your neighbors. Have them over. Be friends with them. Know them and be known by them. Let them watch your life more closely than they already are and see your living witness unto the truth and unto Christ. It's the connection between knowing or uh, believing and doing. The world can sniff out hypocrisy faster than we can recite John 3 16 these days. These days they'll go after the most pious and well-intentioned among us, hence they're watching us. It is because we truly believe and live out what the world teaches us that they go after us, not because we say one thing and do another. Uh, in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Our culture is no longer receptive, it's been a while, to us saying, but the Bible says X, Y, Z. They don't have ears to hear for that. 
But they are open toward reason. I think a lot of them still are. The worst of them probably aren't. So know how to articulate truths about, um, about matters. Truths that are committedly progressive, secularist culture find so odious about our faith. Without necessarily citing the Bible first, when you are talking about the truths of scripture. So the truths about marriage, why is it between a man and woman and one man and one woman? Why sex is not gender with regard to all this transgender's agenda? Truths about embodiment, who we are as human beings, embodied. Truths about family, are, are parents interchangeable? Are two dads the same as two moms, the same as one mom or one dad? Why limit it to two? Does it all matter? Life and dignity issues. Super Bowl is tomorrow, and I think there's, Fox has still decided not to run that 30-second ad with, uh, from the pro-life group, the um, abortion survivors. Truths about why the pre-born matter, and they're us. We're just smaller. Again, without using scripture, to those who can't hear scripture first or chapter and first yet, we have to know and articulate these social, philosophical, anthropological arguments that bear witness to truth. And of course, with scripture, I think that part is easier for us in the room here, for the believers um, and otherwise misguided. Let me leave you with this. John 16, I come, this, I come to this first often. Christ says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're in the already, we're in, in between the already and not yet. And of course he promises, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you.